I don't know if you have ever had second thoughts. Okay, maybe you have. You wouldn't be unusual if you've had second thoughts. Like, second thoughts about being a Christian. Like, really? You know, because if, maybe if you weren't a Christian, you could go camping for two straight days and not feel guilty. You know, there's lots of things you could do, aren't, isn't there? You could just, you know, have you, you've probably thought about that. And you probably said, I wonder if I'm doing the right thing. And there, I think, are reasons to have second thoughts. I think that we have, as exiles in this world, constant reminders that we don't exactly fit in. That we are sort of out of step with the rest of the world. That we are sojourners and pilgrims, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. And when we get those reminders, we have to say, am I doing the right thing? Is, is this really good enough? Is it real? Is what I believe in really worth committing myself to? That's, I think, something that we all have to ask ourselves. Because we, we can get only so far without asking that question and really coming to grips with the fact that, yes, in fact... Either it's true or it's not true. Either it's good or it's not good. Either it's worth committing my entire self to or it's not. And so this morning, we're going to run into that straight away in First Peter. As you know, we've been studying First Peter the last few weeks and I want to invite you to take your Bibles and to turn there to First Peter. We're in chapter 1. Begin reading in verse 10. So if you want to turn to Romans, or excuse me, Romans, First Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 10, we'll start reading there. And I want you to be reminded there that you don't have to have second, second thoughts or doubts or feel that pressure because of what God's Word says there in First Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. Those second thoughts are things that we experience when we feel out of step with the world, when we sit through, you know, church service after church service and we feel like maybe we're not getting out of it what we want to get out of it. 
But I want to assure you that it is worth your pursuit. It is important that you recognize that the very thing that you believe, that you hold on to, is the very thing that has perplexed prophets, that has attracted angels, and that is worth embracing completely. Starts off by saying, concerning this salvation. So what he's talking to you about is salvation that comes by faith in Christ to those who believe He died for their sins. The very thing we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. It's the very thing that it says talks about earlier in the chapter when it says, He caused you to be born again. It's that thing. Into a living hope. And into an inheritance that is imperishable and indestructible and undefiled, kept in heaven for you who are being kept for that inheritance. It's that. It's salvation that comes when you love Christ, though you haven't seen Him. It's salvation that comes to you when you believe in Him, though you don't see Him now. And you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory when you obtain the salvation of your souls. It's that salvation He's talking about. Salvation that comes from love for Christ, for believing in Christ. It's the hope of every Christian It's that salvation. The salvation that's talked about in Sunday school. It's the salvation that's put forward in one. It's the salvation that we talk about every single week when we talk about believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That salvation. The salvation that I hope you embrace. That you're hoping for. Me too. Concerning that salvation, he says... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. There is a very unique thing about this salvation. It was revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. But it was spoken about hundreds of years before that by the prophets. And those prophets really, really wanted to know what this was about. And they didn't. It occurred to me, I almost started this way, was to ask you, what do you know that Moses didn't know? What do you know that Isaiah didn't know? Or Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Samuel? And I was afraid that you'd say, well, nothing. So I didn't ask you that question. But what he says here is that you have this salvation, right? That has come in Christ. And it's that that Moses was looking for when Moses said, someone like me, but greater than me, is coming. It's that Person, that salvation that Isaiah looked forward to when he t- talked about the suffering servant who, who would be um, 
by whose wounds we would be healed. It was that um, that salvation, that person of Jesus, that they all prophesied. And they said, they prophesied about grace. You think, oh, the prophets, they were all law. They were all like, get with the program. That's what a prophet says, right? And they do say that. But they were saying that to point you to grace. The prophets who prophesied about grace. About the fact that, yes, in fact, you can have peace with God apart from your works. That you can be accepted before God when you don't deserve to be. That grace. They spoke about that. And we miss it. We miss it because there's so many fantastic prophecies of judgment and things that frighten us. But the grace is there and they told us about it. It's those prophets who prophesied that grace that searched and inquired carefully. I mean, I can just imagine. I mean, I just have finished the reading through the prophets in my, in my quiet time and it was awful. Some of them had to shave their beards and some of them had to go without clothes and some of them, I mean, it was, they had to do terrible things as part of these prophecies. Some of them broke glass jars and all these, just crazy things. And I'm just thinking, there, I can just imagine if it was me, I would say like, God, really? Really, you want me to tell these people that? You want me to act this thing out? Really? Why? What is there about what I'm going to have to say to these people that is good or that is positive? And when's it all going to happen? And they begin, I mean, I can just imagine they have to ask those questions. But for those prophets, they didn't get, I never thought about this before, they didn't get those answers. They had their little window of reality that, that they got, but that's kind of what they got. They knew part of the story of God, but they didn't know the whole thing. And in that respect, I think they're a lot like those of us who grew up in church. And we got Sunday school stories, and we knew about Adam, and then we knew about Noah, and we knew about Abraham. But for us, it was story. Stop. Story. Stop. Story. Stop. And we never saw the whole thing. We didn't realize that what was going on with Adam was pointing us to the second Adam. Or the thing that was going on with Noah was pointing us to the fact that there would be some who would be saved from God's judgment. We miss the fact that Abraham is going to be the father of many nations and his seed would bless the world. And we missed the story because we, we just have these little you know, snippets, which is what the prophets had. And they searched and inquired and they didn't get it. But you do, you see. You do get it. You get exactly what God intended. Because you know the focal point of the story. You get the, the Word of God, this person of Jesus. I'm getting ahead of myself because I get so excited that you have this person of Jesus. 
He says, I, I, for truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see. This is, this is Jesus talking after he gives, after he gives a parable of, um, the sower. And he explains to, to them what Isaiah said. Isaiah said, you know, you're going to tell people and their ears are going to be stopped. And they're not going to be able to see. And he quoted Isaiah and then he says this, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. But they didn't see it. And to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. See, what I... The reason I'm telling you this is you are privileged beyond what you realize. These prophets were looking for this. He goes on to say they were inquiring what person or what time. Isn't that interesting? They didn't know the name of Jesus. They didn't know how the Messiah, who the Messiah would be, or precisely how the Messiah was going to fulfill these promises. They didn't know that. But you do. I, I was just reading actually um, this week in Matthew. Um, Matthew 16, Jesus says, you know, who do people say I am? And some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the other prophets. Some say you're this or that. Well, who do you say I am? And Peter, okay, the one who wrote our letter here that we're reading, Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. Peter was the first one ever to put this together. The thing that the prophets had for you know, centuries been trying to figure out, Peter says, you are that person. That's a big deal. And then, the rest of history began to unfold because from that moment forward, Christ said, okay, you're right, we're going to the cross. You're right. We are going to provide a propitiation for sin. We're going to satisfy God's wrath against sin. And that's what we're going to be doing now. Of course, it was Peter who didn't like that and said, please don't do that. He went anyway. But they didn't know that until Peter was the first one to realize it. They didn't know the time that they were talking about. Every, you know, if you read the Old Testament, you get the impression that, that just over the horizon is this huge army or these, you know, fireballs going to come and have all this destruction and judgment. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. They didn't know what time it was going to happen. But you can look back now. You are privileged. Because the very thing the prophets we're confused by and we're puzzled by you have seen in the person of Jesus. In fact, Jesus wanted to make sure that they knew this. And so, He said, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. Now, some of you, some of you are, you know, probably good Baptists and you say, well, you do. Right? 
And you do. We are biblical. We want to believe and love the Bible. But Jesus pointed out, it is they that bear witness about me. The issue is Jesus. The way to Jesus is through the Scriptures. But the issue is Jesus. He said, they witness about me and you refuse to come to me so that you might have life. That's the question for you this morning. Are you going to come to Jesus to have life? Or are you too cool? Are you too experienced? Do you have too much to lose? That's the question. I mean, this whole thing about the time and the person comes to its uh, focal point after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he's there in the upper room, or he's on the road to Emmaus, and then in the upper room, and he says this, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. I mean, when you're reading the Bible, you're looking for Jesus. And it doesn't matter if you're in Genesis, or if you're in Leviticus, or if you're in Job, or if you're in Psalms, or Isaiah, or Matthew, or Revelation. The whole thing's about Him. And Jesus made sure they saw it. And then later in the upper room, He said, these are the words I spoke to you while I was with you. Jesus was telling us this all the time. Everything written about Me, the Law and the Prophets and the Psalms, must be fulfilled. All the Bible is about that one thing, that one person that the prophets were looking for. That you have seen. And so, the reason that I want to make sure that you see this is because, it, you know, when we forget this, yeah, we're going to have second thoughts. Yeah, we're going to have doubts. We're going to wonder, am I really doing the right thing? Does this really matter? Is this really important? And Moses and Samuel and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and John the Baptist would all say, yes! I lived my whole life to find this. And I couldn't. Don't take it for granted. Because the Holy Spirit is pointing us to Jesus. See, that's what this tells us. That the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing to the sufferings of Christ and to His subsequent glories. The Spirit of the Spirit of Christ. That's what I think is really interesting when you think about it. in the Old Testament, it was the Spirit of the Messiah, the Christ, hundreds of years before the Christ ever came. The Spirit was telling the prophets, point to Him, point to Him, point to Him. He's the big deal. And He will suffer. But His suffering will not be the final chapter, there will be the subsequent glories. And so, the Spirit was telling the prophets of the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And when they did that, when the Holy Spirit did that for the prophets, they weren't serving themselves, they were serving you. They were telling you that the Bible you hold on your lap is the key to eternal life because it points to Jesus. Please, Please don't miss it. If you're here this morning and you haven't committed yourself to Jesus, if you have not fully embraced 
Jesus. I'm sure there's somebody with a name tag on nearby you who would love to talk to you about it because this is the main idea. And he just keeps going with this, which is interesting to me, isn't it? I mean, he's talking about Jesus, but then he says, it's announced. Jesus was announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The Holy Spirit sent somebody. Maybe it was a mom or dad. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a neighbor that would tell you or announce the good news or the gospel of Jesus. It's one of the reasons at New Life Church we talk a lot about the gospel. Okay, I love it here that it didn't get translated. It says they preach the good news. Okay, If it was translated, it would be the gospel. They preached the gospel to you. And so I want you to understand that when we talk about the gospel week after week, day after day, we're talking about the very thing that you should find in the scriptures that brings salvation. It's about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, that's one thing. Okay, I, I, I tried to push that pretty hard. That the prophets, the most God-loving, God-saturated, committed people in the history of the world longed to know what you know. They longed to be introduced to Jesus. That's one thing. The second thing, though, is that these are the things which the angels longed to look into. Now, I just want you to—I just want you to step back for a minute and think about those second thoughts you have, those doubts that you wonder about when you say, "Is this?" Is this really even the right religion? Is this really even the, the big deal? Is this really worth committing myself to? Is this salvation really the right thing? And I say that because all of us have gone there at one time. And I want to suggest to you that throughout the history of the world, people have longed to run into Jesus and to meet Him, and to trust in Jesus. That's what the prophets tell us. But beyond that, he says, it is these things, this salvation, this gospel, that the angels long to look into. And that really is the idea is that they are peering over the edge of heaven like a little boy at a baseball game. He gets the one boy's on his hands and knees, the other boy climbs up and looks over the fence to watch the game. That's sort of the, the picture that the angels have of this world so that they might see all that God is doing for you in Christ. Think about that. I mean, this is, this is just beyond what I can imagine. That the angels are so fired up about what God is doing in Christ, that they are just 
fighting to be the first in line to look at it. And they're pushing the other angels out of the way to say, let me see what Jesus is doing down there. I mean, they are, I mean, they are angels. I mean, what do angels normally get to look at? Oh, just, you know, boring stuff like heaven. (laughs) Right? Like thrones and crystal seas and, you know, all kinds of stuff. The very stuff that's going to fascinate us for all eternity. And they say, there's something more interesting to me than that. Because this darling of heaven, this Son of God, has come, was born in a manger, walked a dusty uh, Galilean road, walked up the hill to Golgotha, hung on a cross, was buried, three days later rose again. And since that day, people have been saying, only way I'm going to be right with God is because of what Jesus did on that cross. The only way that I'm going to have hope for beyond the grave is because there is someone who has conquered the grave named Jesus. And the angels, the angels are looking over the edge of heaven saying, are you kidding? Look at that. Look at that. These people found Jesus in the most extraordinary way. These people found Jesus in the most ordinary way. These people had parents that led them to trust in Jesus. These people had Sunday school teachers that loved them or wanted workers who had them memorize verses about having eternal life in Jesus and they believed it. These people listened to sermon audio. These people, they, they, when they didn't have any other way to find it, The Holy Spirit brought someone to announce the good news. And they said, you know what? I'm willing to bet on Jesus. And when they were willing to bet their lives that Jesus is who He says He is, the angels say, wow, that is cool. And the angels cannot get enough of it. In fact, the angels are, can hardly wait for us to be done here. So that you can go back to your neighborhood. So you can go back to work tomorrow. And somebody, somebody's going to have the opportunity to say, Jesus is cool. You wouldn't believe what happened when Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And when I believed it. He changed my life. You see... But then, then there's like those days when we doubt. There's those days when we second guess. We say, well, I don't know. And I just want you to realize what has happened in this text in 1 Peter. God 
has called witnesses from throughout history to tell you you will never meet anyone like Jesus. He has called witnesses from throughout history to tell you your only hope is in Him. You don't need to second guess it. More than that, God has called all the witnesses of heaven to look at what God is doing for His people in Jesus so that all of heaven might rejoice. I mean... I mean, they're going to rejoice because when they look at Jesus, they say, you know what? God is unbelievably loving. They look at Jesus and they say, God is unbelievably just to punish sin with His own Son. They look at Jesus and they say, God is unbelievably wise. And God is unbelievably patient. And as they look at Jesus, they marvel at all that God is when His character is on display in the person of His Son. That's what interests the angels. In fact, Ephesians chapter 3 says that God's wisdom is put on display, get this, in the church. See, I just think it's so great. We're here. We struggle to figure out communion. We struggle to figure out how we get everybody in and out and you know, get back there to cake or whatever. Right? We can't figure church out. I don't feel wise about church at all. But the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 3 says, the very wisdom of God is on display in His church. Not just that but for the principalities and powers. In other words, He has heaven in view. God is showing off to all of heaven by what He's doing in Jesus Christ for you. You don't need to second guess it. You don't need to worry about it or doubt. Because you have the witness of all history. And you have the witness of all of heaven to say the very thing you're talking about week after week in church is worth missing that camping trip for. It's worth being different for. It's worth being exiled and not feeling like you you fit in. Because you've traded all of that for Jesus. And the prophets would tell you, and the angels would tell you, it's a very good trade. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you enable us to believe? Would you help our unbelief? God, I am sure that we struggle with second thoughts, with doubts, with insecurities about whether what we're doing really is the right thing. If you really do mean what you say, God, would you please 
grant us the perspective of history and the perspective of heaven. That we might love and embrace Jesus wholeheartedly. Thank you for the privilege of worshiping together with all of New Life Church and all of Gladstone First Baptist Church. And as we look to establish unity together, Father, may we, may we join the chorus of the prophets and the angels to say Jesus is amazing. Amen.